you are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 106.7. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Hope everybody's having a great Tuesday afternoon out there. Joining us from 2 to 4 p.m. Right here, once again, on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you at Point Gardner at Levi Fitzwater on Twitter. You can call into the show. Phone lines are open, 334-321-1390. Great show for everybody lined up today. We got Jason Caldwell of Inside the Auburn Tigers and Auburn 24-7 Sports joining us at 2.30. And then at 3.30 this afternoon, a pre-recorded conversation with Robbie Weinstein of Vandy 24-7 and the National Desk as well for 24-7 Sports. We get his thoughts on a multitude of things. What's going on in Nashville right now with the $300 million investment into the Vanderbilt football and basketball programs facilities. Also, some thoughts about the SEC baseball season up until this point with six sweeps this past weekend on the SEC baseball schedule. A lot of topics there with Robbie Weinstein, and that's just scratching the surface. Looking forward to that conversation with him coming up once again at 3.30. Good friend of the program, and it was happy to be able to talk with him today. But we're going to start off the show here. Auburn showing interest in West Virginia safety. Tyke Smith, we saw that on AuburnSports.com, I believe Jeffrey, um, I, I believe AuburnSports.com put up an article about that. Tyke Smith, the West Virginia safety that entered the transfer portal last week. Auburn also brought on Dreshun Miller most recently as a transfer. Why is Auburn going after all these defensive backs when we perceive this group to already be one of the deepest? And we also saw like three safeties commit on signing day. So why is Auburn going after all of these safeties possibly right now in that defensive backfield? Your guess is as good as mine. West Virginia? You mean Auburn North at this point? <laughs> it just seems like that they're just trying to recruit all the guys out of West Virginia. Hold I mean, on, that's South Carolina. Uh, yeah, I mean, let's be fair, though. <laughs> West Virginia did have a really good pass defense last year, one of the best in the country. So I guess that makes sense from that perspective. The only thing I could think of is they're watching the game evolve, and they saw – and like they see how much the pass has been implemented. You saw what Alabama did last year and was able to throw the ball all around the yard. You saw what Joe Burrow and LSU was able to do the year before. Maybe they're just trying to stock up and just saying, like, look, we might have to go this deep into our like defensive back room because we might need to have guys rotating in and out. We might need to keep guys fresh if this trend that we've seen the past two years in the SEC where everybody's shifting to this more pass-heavy offense, or for at least the most part, like most teams in the SEC are just opening opening up their offensive game plan. Maybe maybe that's what it is. Again, like it's it's hard to see why because this is such a deep room already. So I'm I understood not Dreshun Miller, but now the extra yeah, one, one, if this indeed does occur. Jeff Jeffrey Lee was the one who put up the article on AuburnSports.com about this. Uh about Auburn looking at a West Virginia transfer defensive back and you know, Auburn showing interest in another one. I just wonder where if there's room and why it, in you know more so for the West Virginia guy how does it benefit him because I think it's going to be hard 
for him to supersede or usurp a position or a guy that we already perceive to be starters in this defensive backfield. We've, we've seen Tennyson move back to the safety position. We've seen Smoke Monday hold his spot down. So you got Smoke Monday and Ladarius Tennyson back there. You've also got guys that have committed in recent years. The safety room, despite the fact that it lost Jamie and Sherwood, maybe you're lacking a little bit of experience, game experience, at that strong safety position because Jamie and Sherwood has left. But you still have a lot of bodies and bodies that you perceive to be super talented. And then at cornerback, you've got four or five guys deep of names that have been quality contributors in that defensive backfield. So I, I find it hard to believe that safeties or cornerbacks would want to commit to Auburn right now if they're transferring because you got to be concerned about playing time at this point. And Vanderbilt did offer him a scholarship back in 2017. So I guess that kind of makes a little sense. Derek Mason was probably the guy who had his eye on him. So interesting. that does make a little bit of sense. I was, I was trying to find something to make sense of it. I was over here just digging. I was like, did Vanderbilt offer him something? Did Boise State offer him something? There's got to be somewhere a little bit of a breadcrumb. But yeah, Vanderbilt did offer him back in 2017. So I guess that makes a little bit of sense. Uh, Derek Mason is probably familiar with this guy. Could bring him in. He's only a sophomore. So, I mean, he could come in and sit a little bit if he, if he thinks that he could end up getting playing time maybe a little later on. Maybe he wants to come to the SEC and just showcase what he can do later on in his career. Maybe he just wants to come and grow a little bit. Maybe he's not happy with West Virginia and he thinks Auburn's a better fit for him. Maybe he just likes Derek Mason. Maybe Derek Mason made a big impact on him in recruiting and he's like, well, I like Derek Mason, but he was at Vanderbilt at the time. Can't, I didn't really want to go there, but now he's at Auburn. I could go there and play for a defense led by him at a more premier university. Maybe the kid's confident. He thinks he can get on the field. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, we have no idea. Like, it's it's one of those things where it's a little bit more, it's tougher to figure out why this is. The only thing I could see is the, Der- the Derek Mason connection. That's the only thing that kind of leads me to understanding why he would want to come to Auburn. Plus, the reason why Auburn would want him, I guess, just to bolster the already tremendous depth that they have in the defensive backfield. Tyke Smith was a part of that secondary last year for West Virginia that was statistically the top secondary in all of college football in terms of pass yards allowed per game. They also weren't too shabby when it came down to limiting quarterbacks' efficiency because they were not giving up a high completion percentage either. This was a tough defensive backfield in one of the most pass-happy conferences, so you know if you're getting a good defensive back out of the Big 12, they know how to cover because they're covering some of the best passing offenses in college football. Yeah, I mean, they've they've understood, like, he comes from the system, or he comes from the conference where they're throwing the ball all the time. Everybody knows what the Big 12 is, and for the Big 12 to put out a defense that was statistically the best passing defense in the country in the premier passing conference, when you think of throwing the ball all around the yard, you think of the Big 12, you think of the Pac-12. Those are two schools that come to mind where you're also thinking defense is optional. So West Virginia was going up against some of the premier offenses in the country and still was able to put out the top defensive like the the top passing defense in the country based off the statistics it's good to get guys from that it's good to get guys who who know how to play against premier passing and the sec is trending in that direction where you're seeing teams open it up a lot more alabama lsu over the past few years i mean it can't hurt like i mean if you're, you're going, right it can't hurt it can't hurt. Like, is he going to see a lot of playing time this year? I don't know. That's yet to be seen. If he even came to Auburn, uh, that's also nothing set in stone that he's actually coming to Auburn. But 
the way I see this move is you can't have too many options. You get everybody knows that in an instant, your starter could go down for the rest of the year. Nobody wants injuries, but at any point in time, you can have a guy get hurt. I mean, you look at Jeremiah Wright towards ACL. He's going to be out for the year. That it, things like that could happen at any given moment. So too much depth is never a bad thing, at least in my opinion. Mike Farrell at Rivals Mike tweeted out, Tyke Smith has heard from UCF, South Carolina, Penn State, Mississippi State, Auburn, Notre Dame, Houston, Indiana, Georgia Tech, Georgia, Texas Tech, and a few others. So a long list. Auburn, obviously one of the premier institutions on that list alongside Georgia, Penn State, Notre Dame. The others all seem to factor in on the same tier when you're talking about the hierarchy of college football. But a long list of names trying to vie for Tyke Smith that we'll see if Auburn ends up getting his signature. I find it interesting, though, that Auburn would be willing to take this many defensive backs, and it kind of seems like it's became a position of focus for Auburn football, not only in recruiting when it was nearing signing day with the amount of defensive backs and safeties that Auburn took on signing day, but also now with two transfers that they've brought into the defensive backfield For some reason, defensive backfield was perceived as a need. I'm curious as to why that was. I know you can't have too many good coverage defensive backs, and I know Auburn lost two with Christian Tutt and Jamie and Sherwood headed out. But still, this is a deep group even with those guys leaving. This was not the, the position group that I perceived as a need. I thought Auburn would have found themselves in the running for possibly offensive linemen out there by now more running backs maybe and I would have thought that a transfer running back would have cropped up at this point something maybe a wide receiver that had veteran experience I I thought there were more needs on the offensive side of the book on the offensive side of the football but even if you were talking about the, the defensive side of the ball if you're talking about immediate needs here guys that could really help come on and contribute right away immediate needs I, I would think you know, possibly the the linebacker position on the defensive side of the football, if we were just talking about on the defense, I would say linebackers maybe could use bodies switching to the three four. But I, I have a hard time I have a hard time seeing the needs on the defensive side of the ball compared to the offensive side of the ball. For I mean, immediacy. I understand that for immediacy. It doesn't look like that's what they're going for though. It looks like they're going for guys that can transfer in and still wait a little bit. I mean he's a sophomore, he could come in I mean, Zach Etheridge probably just wants a lot of guys. I mean, he's, he he just wants some guys that he can develop. He wants guys that can stick around. It does seem that some of these transfer moves, especially this one, was not an immediate C transfer. It, w- it was more of a, this guy could come. If, again, this, this is not set in stone. He's not coming to Auburn yet. Like, he could come to Auburn. He's not coming yet. But if he did, it seems more of a move where, at least from the Auburn perspective, they're trying to find a guy who can sit a little bit who can learn from some of these other guys and then maybe could come in next year or even the year after and play some football and do you contribute. Think, do you think perceived starters are in trouble of losing their jobs? No, no not even close. I don't think and so. And I'm not even talking about with Tyke Smith. I'm talking about in this defensive backfield, do you think guys that started last season, Pritchett, Simpson, McCreary, obviously, McCreary's save. I think he's locked in. This guy's a this guy's a future NFL cornerback, yeah. top top two round pick in my opinion possibly could find himself into the first round like some of his predecessors in that defensive backfield but smoke monday tennyson is i think a perceived starter at the safety position talk about that group do you think any of those guys are in trouble of losing their jobs i personally don't think they're in trouble of losing their jobs but i also don't know 
where the coaching staff is sitting with these guys. We've, we've seen that it doesn't seem like they're valuing, you know, like veteran experience. They're not, they, they have no allegiance. We keep saying this. They have no allegiance. They don't owe anything to these guys that were on the roster before. They're going to come in here and do their own thing. I think that's the group that you're going to see trotted out there for the starters, but it would not shock me if maybe one of those guys were left out or two. I mean, like, look, I don't know what they're thinking on that side of the football, but I trust that they're going to put the best guys that they think have the chance to succeed. I don't think they're showing allegiance just because they started the last year, but also, like, I, I just don't know where it stands. I'm going to go, I, I think I'm more confident in saying that those are probably the guys that are go- going to start, and I don't feel like they're in danger right now of losing a position. For the safety positions, I think that's a little bit more wide open because they're obviously looking to fill one spot. Mm-hmm. And Tennyson didn't have a job to lose. He was just experiencing playing time as a reserve last year. I don't know if reserve's the right way to use it, but he was a backup that was getting in in multiple spots. And I, th- I think the safety position is a good fit for him, and I think that would help Auburn in terms of having someone that can actually cover at that safety position they're, because they're Smoke Monday and Jamie him. and Sherwood really struggled to cover. Yep. They are high on Tennyson. Said, that, that's what leans me to – like I don't feel in danger of Tennyson just because they've been really high on the kid. Like they're real, Like you've heard a lot of reports coming out about how they view him. And I, I have a hard time thinking that the cornerbacks are going to lose their spots for Dreshawn Miller to be able to take any one of their positions. You know, Possibly Jalen Simpson because I think Nehemiah Pritchett was able to climb up over him on the depth chart by the end of last year. But uh, as the top two corners for Auburn, I feel like are Pritchett and McCreary, McCreary being the top corner of that group. I should have said his name first. But I think those two players are your primary guys and then Simpson. But you just don't know how this defensive backfield is going to shake out with where guys are going to stand in, who's going to be the nickel. That's going to be a hard group to evaluate with the depth chart. With the new coaching staff, man, we've been doing this, this 8A depth chart series. Very difficult when you're going through a scheme shift and you're going through a coaching change because these these coaches obviously are going to view players differently than the previous coaching staff, and they're going to view those positions differently as well. So it's hard to evaluate where guys are going to line up all across the football field. And once again, that's just something that you're going to wait and see when A-Day rolls around what it looks like and where guys end up lining up. On the other side of this break, we're going to pick some of those Elite Eight games happening tonight. Two more coming up this evening. Stay with us here on On the Line. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Coming up in about 12 minutes, we're going to have Jason Caldwell of Inside the Auburn Tigers and Auburn 24-7 Sports on with us coming up at 2.30 also on the show with us today at 3.30, we got Robbie Weinstein at Vandy 24-7 in the national desk for 24-7 sports. Vanderbilt making some waves in college football and college basketball with a $300 million investment in their facilities, trying to upgrade their stadium, also putting together a football operations facility, whatever that is. Kind of sounds like a football-only facility as well. So Vanderbilt dumping some major money into their football and basketball programs a step forward in the right direction we get Robbie Weinstein's thoughts on that later also on some national topics as well in the college basketball sphere which is where we are headed here with our show now a look at the elite eight games tonight but first we'll take a look at yesterday's action 
Baylor into the Final Four? Is this team beginning to get back to their national quality with the way that they played against Arkansas last night? They're playing pre-COVID break basketball right now. Like they're they're starting to get back into that form because we saw Baylor dominant in the first half of the season, or not even really the first half, but you, the the way you view Baylor's season was the first portion. The, there was a COVID break, and then there was post-COVID break where you saw them struggle against teams. You saw them struggle against West Virginia. They lost to Kansas. Things like that, and then even in the Big 12 tournament where they dropped to Oklahoma State, you saw this team struggle just a bit that you hadn't seen them struggle throughout the year prior to that. And it was a big question, at least for myself, going into the tournament. I thought if you were going to get, if Baylor wasn't going to make it towards the Final Four Elite Eight in this tournament, they were going to get beat early on in one of the first, like either like the round of 32 against an eight or a nine or in the Sweet 16. This team's getting hot. This team's starting to roll. They're starting to get back to their form and what they were before that COVID break. Man, it's going to be tough to beat them. Like I, I they have they've gotten really, really hot, and they're starting to play back to what what we expected them to. You know what what they were all year up until they had to break for COVID. Houston and Oregon State last night. Houston was the first team to advance to the Final Four after defeating Oregon State 67 to 61 defensive contest as we expected and Houston being the better of the two teams offensively so there goes another Cinderella falling before they can make it to the final four that brings us to our action tonight Levitt seed UCLA against one seed Michigan that's the nightcap we'll get to that one in a second six seed USC against one seed Gonzaga is there any magic left in the tank I don't I, I don't know if there's any magic left in the tank for 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 USC. Like I think they can, I think this is going to be a good game. I don't think Gonzaga blows them out. I just in general. Is there oh, any magic left in the tank for the NCAA tournament to produce some type of upset this late in the game or are we about to get the chalkiest final four that we've seen in a long time? Your final four could be 1-1-2-1 one, one, one this year. And it was funny that we said that like way at the beginning we said that as crazy as this year has been would it not be just would it not be fitting to a narrative that you just see it go chalk in the final four? And that's what it's looking well, like it's it going to. served up the best teams. We knew this year in college basketball there was an elite group of teams at the top, a very small percentage that were that much better than everybody else. There was clearly a gorge between the top five teams in the country and then everybody else. And even Illinois got sucked up into the abyss, you know, like we, we don't even have all four one seeds here, but statistically, it's only happened three times in the last 35 years that three one seeds have made the Final Four. So the odds of this occurring are still pretty slim statistically. Not now when you're looking at who these teams are playing because Michigan's getting to play an 11 seed and Gonzaga's getting to play a six seed. But they're playing the best basketball conference in, uh, in, the, in the world. Sure, you, you gave me a look there. You're like, Conference of Champions, and I know you're messing, but they, they have really torn – they've torn it up this year. You're right. They have performed much higher than anybody's expectations were for them coming into the postseason. And there was no expectations going into them. Me and no. Lance, Lance called them the worst, like, power six in terms of, like, if you're – Traditionally, they are. Yeah, and we we were laughing at them. We were like, oh, they ain't got a – they don't have a shot. And the next thing you know, here we are. We have a chance to get – we had a chance to get three of them into the Final Four. But like I was saying, we knew that there was a, a section of college basketball at the very top, like five teams, that were so much better than everybody else. 
And when you and I were trying to make those selections, like what teams can win the title, fortunately, most of mine are still here. I still have Gonzaga. I still have Michigan. I still have Baylor. Now the other two are not. I had Illinois and Alabama on that list. I just don't. I just, I hate picking all one seeds because it never happens. You know what I mean? Like we just talked, you just threw out the number that, you know, three one seeds and a two, like that hasn't happened. And in my bracket, I didn't do that. I had two one seeds in my bracket making it this far. But the point that I'm trying to make is this year's college basketball was not normal. And we knew it throughout the entire regular season. When you look at all the blue bloods that were down, your best blue blood this year was Kansas. And they went down in the second round of the NCAA tournament to USC by like 30-something points. I don't know. If Duke wouldn't, if Duke would have went in, they'd have been better than Kansas. Duke may have been a tougher out than Kansas at that point with the way that Duke was playing at the they, end of the year. I don't disagree with you. They play better offense than Kansas does, at least like for tournament scope. Like Kansas had the better year by far. And 100%. Kansas, and Kansas Duke didn't was deserve the, to be in the tournament. No, not at all. Like that's why, And that's why Duke wasn't in the tournament. But yeah. in terms of a tournament style of play, I do believe that Duke would have went farther. I mean, Also the way that Duke Kansas was playing is. at the end of the year. Like it, it was a weird, wacky year. North Carolina wasn't very good. They were fine, but look at how they got beat they by got Wisconsin. Outed, yeah, outed in the first round. Kentucky, <laughs> horrible. Didn't even make the tournament. Exactly. Michigan State lost in the first four. They weren't very good either this year. You just look at all the blue bloods across college basketball, and now I'm forgetting one, the one with the most national championships. UCLA has found themselves to the Elite Eight. They are a blue blood. And they are one of nation's elite histories in college basketball. They are among college basketball's royalty. And even they had Falling a down from year. grace for sure. I mean, they were 11 seed. I don't know. This is beginning to become the norm for UCLA basketball, which is why new age basketball folks, people that have been only watching for the last 15 years, might be thinking, UCLA is not a blue blood. No, no, like, just go and check the titles, man. No, they're, this, <laughs> they're traditionally a yeah. basketball powerhouse. And I think, I mean, they were an 11 seed for a reason. Like they were, they had a bit of a down, like not a great year, but it does at least look like Mick Cronin has gotten this team and is playing this their best basketball at the right time. Exactly, they peaked at the they they have peaked. They've gotten hot. They're starting to roll at the absolute perfect time. Now we just got to see if it continues. And I think that's why this tournament produced what we got this year. A lot of chaos in the first few rounds, and now you've gotten to the end where the best teams that we thought were the best are still here. At least most of them are still here, aside from Illinois and Alabama getting sucked up into the abyss. But still, the three teams, Gonzaga, Michigan, and Baylor, they're still here, and they are on the other side of the gorge, whereas UCLA is trying to jump and try and get across, and so is USC. So let's pick these games right here. We've got a couple minutes left in this segment. Six seed USC against one seed Gonzaga, six fifteen TBS. I think I'm gonna go with you. I'm gonna go with uh, Gonzaga here, but I do think that USC has a chance to make this game close. The line's set at eight and a half. I'm kind of seeing 50-50 going on for both of these. One stat: Andy Enfield, ten and zero against the spread in the tournament. I think that comes to an What's end. What's that line at right now? It's at eight and a half right now. USC is an eight and a half point underdog. Wow, it, it that's a little low for me. It worries me when what's going on on the betting lines. It, like how are people? They're looking. They're looking fifty fifty. Like I'm seeing like fifty percent bets, fifty percent money. Like it's looking pretty pretty even. I think this. I think the line is fair. Like I think that's what you're seeing here. But I do believe that Gonzaga probably covers this. Ten and zero against the spread for Andy Infield. You don't think Vegas knows that and sets the line accordingly to where they're like, dude, people are just going to start tailing Andy Infield against the spread. 
He's he's about you know ten and zero. Like you're That's bound, true. you're bound to drop one eventually. And this is this Gonzaga's the better team. I think they can match up better with USC than they've had to match up with anybody before. I think Gonzaga way too overwhelming for USC. Everybody and, can score, and it's yeah. and, and it's and it's at a high clip. These guys are averaging ninety two point one points per game, and yep. it's not. It, there's nothing individual about Gonzaga. If you watch this team, they move the basketball so well. Talk about their assist numbers: eighteen point three assists per game they have two guys averaging over four assists per game in their backcourt they're moving the basketball it's a selfless game even their big men are assisting drew timmy has over two assists a game Corey kispert just under two with 1.7 when i look at usc i see two primary scores i see i see eddie and i see evan mobley there's one great big man on usc there's two great big men at gonzaga two is better than one so i give the front court edge to gonzaga and then the backcourt yeah. <laughs> for gonzaga who haven't even gotten to it yet and that's possibly what's the best that's possibly the best thing about this team because you talk about jalen suggs mm-hmm. this guy could be a top five pick when the nba draft rolls around this gonzaga team i can't find any weaknesses everybody wanted to make fun of me for picking them to win the title but like because uh, you know what you're not original it's like look this this oh, team doesn't I, have me. to be original this team's the real deal that was me i was i was the one making fun of you too everybody who had gonzaga and baylor like i was making fun of all of y'all but it, it looks like that's probably going to end up happening at this point but, game two here 11 seed we got we both got gonzaga in this one yes. game two here 11 seed ucla one seed michigan they wrap up the night here nine o'clock start time tentatively both of these games are on tbs as well Look, I can only say this. Either UCLA is going to win or Michigan and Juwan Howard are going to have to actually kill Mick Cronin because you can't you don't just beat a UCLA team. You don't we'll just pick beat, it then. You don't just beat Mick Cronin. You have to actually kill Mick Cronin. You know what? Search your heart. I know that I know the correct answer here. You do know the correct answer, but you are going to choose. I, I'm gonna choose UCLA. Like oh, I, I want them. That's to, not the right answer. I want them to win, but that's not the right answer. The right answer is Michigan because I think this offensive versatility that Michigan has is going to be too diverse for Mick Cronin to put in a defensive scheme for them within that day gap. Now, if this was a week gap and this was like a Sweet 16 game, I'd feel a lot more comfortable with UCLA's chances. I don't feel comfortable with you know just that one day gap to implement a defensive plan for Michigan, and they've been very good. They've like Mick Cronin has strategized really well this entire tournament but one day Michigan's the more talented team I, I think Michigan wins but I'm going to be pulling for UCLA how about that what have I said about this tournament that when you get to this when you get yep. to this point everybody can play defense and Michigan's one of the most elite who's got the buckets at the end Michigan. and that's Michigan so uh, I'll take a Michigan team over a Mick Cronin team any day of the week <laughs> on that topic on the other side of this break, we got Jason Caldwell of Inside the Auburn Tigers and Auburn 24-7 Sports. Look forward to that conversation. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Garner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well, at Radio AL Sports. Between collegiate and high school sports content, we've got you covered. Once again, that's RadioAlabamaSports.net. NFL announced some interesting news. They've expanded the season to 17 games, 18 weeks long. Preseason reduced to just three games. I love the length on the preseason. I actually wouldn't be opposed to maybe even as little as two, but I think three is a pretty good length for teams trying to get ready 
for the regular season, also trying to give some of those fringe guys a chance to showcase what they can do so they can make some rosters. As much as people like to hate on the preseason, and we'll get to the regular season side of things in just a moment, and Levi, I know you'll probably have some strong opinions on this because you're the NFL guy in the room, and I love the NFL as well, but there are a lot of people out there who just like to just dump on the preseason. They just they hate it. They think it's terrible because insert favorite player here got hurt in the preseason. Shouldn't have been on the field, first of all. That's more of the fault of the organization for having that guy on the field in the preseason like when Odell Beckham Jr. got hurt several seasons ago for the Giants it's like why was the dude on the field didn't need to be on the field you know it's the preseason the preseason is not for just like the summer league in the NBA it's not for the stars it's not for the veterans it's not for those guys it's for fringe guys trying to make a roster and I wish more organizations would treat it as such but I do think four games is overkill a lot of people like to bring up that four games may be a little bit too much when you're talking about guys taking an, taking extra hits and wanting to preserve them for the longevity of the season at the end of the day this nets out at zero one added game of regular season one game of preseason taken away still the same amount of football games thoughts on this Levon? I don't think it nets out because <clears throat> preseason games aren't as physical as regular season games and for as the NFL. already put it you know, yeah. it's not for the veterans. The veterans are the one playing the, uh, are the ones playing the seventeen uh, regular season games. One hundred percent. I I agree with you that it's a great thing that they're shortening the preseason. It look unless they were going to do something where they shortened preseason games like actual length and didn't make it a full football game length. If that makes sense, like I think they should shorten it down because it is to get your body ready, preserve yourself, and it's more or less for evaluating talent that you have on the roster that you don't already know, like undrafted free agent guys you know guys that you drafted late round that start showing like hey like this guy could be a contributor guys you could see guys that you drafted in the second or third round that you're like oh this this guy he's not ready like he's he's we, we got a lot of work to do with him adding the 17th game that's the absolute dumbest thing I've ever seen in my entire life you want to keep preaching about player safety you want to keep preaching about we care about the players but you're going to add another game on top of this that's so stupid to me. Like I like I'm like it actually aggravated me and I understand why. You lost a lot of money last year because you didn't have fans coming into the game as much as you would. So you lost a lot of revenue. So you got to make up for it somehow and you got to add a 17th game. Like I get it. Like I understand why it's in place, but to me it's just dumb. Like you can't be as if Roger Goodell could be any more hypocritical than he already is. Like this is it. Like this is him preaching about player safety in his robot voice. We care about player safety and then saying Oh, by the way, let's add another game. And for anybody out there who's like, "Oh, well, I don't complain about my job. You play a kid sport. You play a kid sport for a living." Like, shut up. Like, shut up. Your job does not give you an option to have CTE at the end of the day, where you forget what you're walking into the room for. Like, that's just the dumbest excuse. Like, y- your job also doesn't pay you millions of dollars, by the way, for the most part. Like, just shut up. This is the dumbest thing I've ever like that the NFL could have done. Like, I get it. I'm all about watching more football games, but at the end of the day, you, you can't say player safety and then do the exact opposite thing. The floor was yours, man. I, I the mean, floor like, was that, yours. I did not expect any of that. I had no idea that you were about to go into it. Well, I mean, that was actually something I saw yesterday in my car, like when I saw the like. Well, the Alvin Kamara got, got hated on in a, in a direct message. Yeah, well, and that was some of the things that I saw, and a lot of people had that same sentiment. I get why people have that sentiment, but you also have to like really think about it. Like, yeah, like 
you're you, when people are say that people like uh, athletes are playing this kids game for a living and they should just honor and play for the love of the game. You don't go like most people don't go to their job for the love of their job. I'm I'm lucky enough and you are as well to where we absolutely love what we're doing. But I have a second job where I don't want to go to like I don't I don't go to my second job because I absolutely love going to that job. Sometimes you have to go to do something for yourself and you, you sometimes you have to go make money. And a lot of people aren't as fortunate as me and you are and as, you know, football players as well or any athletes who for the most part love what they do. And also a lot of jobs don't have that health risk that football players have. Like when you're looking at the fact that you could be And if they do, they're probably compensated well enough. Yes. They're like typically when your job but that has definitely a high can't risk, be a concern for NFL players being compensated because they are compensated handsomely. Oh yeah, they're they're in my opinion, I still think they're undervalued. Anytime that there is a salary cap, which I do like for competitive purposes, but Salary cap is always going to pe- keep people undervalued for what they are, at least in my opinion. Like, I think if you look at guys, like, look at the top athlete in the NFL right now, you're going to say Patrick Mahomes. He's the face of the league right now. He's the guy that everybody looks at and points to. You, whatever he's getting paid right now, honestly, you would look at it and go, I would, like, every other team would say, if I didn't have a cap and I had the money, I'd pay him more. Every single one of them would. And that just shows that their value is stifled a bit. People say they're overpaid, whatever, but people would still pay them more, which means they're not paid enough. They're undervalued. I've never been on board with the argument that people say that NFL athletes or professional athletes, any sport, are overpaid because revenue dictates how much they get paid. So if you're one of the people that watch them on Sundays and you think that they're overpaid, then you're the one contributing to the reason why they're overpaid because you're the one who is helping fund this billion dollar this billion yeah. dollar industry. Sports is one of the most lucrative industries in the world and, and there's so many different facets of it, you know, because gambling has really risen in the, in the last couple of years that has pumped even more money. I feel like into that sphere at oh, least I guess 100%. I guess in a way you could say it's pumped legal money <laughs> into the sphere, you know, but in places outside of this state, but like there's just so much money involved that even not even just at the professional level, people would be shocked at how much money youth sports generate for I've taken economics classes on this when I was in college about how much I mean, it's even a billion dollar industry all the way down into youth sports when you're talking about like travel sports, travel baseball or any other sport that people are playing brings a lot of money into local communities I mean, that are hosting these tournaments because that's yeah. a lot that's a lot of commerce that's a lot of money that's exchanging hands when you're talking about bringing all these giant teams and families who have to eat have to go and stay at hotels and whatnot so like although like we say they're playing a game and they're getting they you know it's not like they're it's it's not like they're a, a doctor or somebody who's out there saving lives you know what i mean while that may not be true and we may value it as as just a game the money is there, though, to pay these individuals. Because and they're that, bringing and, that in. And, and standard, you know, laws of economics, just, you know, that that's a big reason why they make that money. They're bringing, yeah, they're bringing in all of that revenue and all that money. And I do want to circle in on something you said about, like, how impactful that is. Because, like, a home example for me, like, right down the road from here in Beulah, Alabama, they added a new facility in terms of, like, a more sports plexi, like, softball, baseball complex and that means a lot for small communities where you have like all-star games. Most people played baseball growing up and they had like all-star games where you all went to one area. You're going to sell concession stand. You're going to sell tickets. That's great for, 
for areas like that. That's what sports sports at its root. It's a game, but it also generates a lot of revenue. And one of my absolute favorite arguments also to the uh, the notion that they're overpaid is, well, I mean, we need to be paying teachers more and we need to pay. Yeah, we do. We need to be paying teachers more, too. It's not like that's mutually exclusive to what we're talking about. Like most jobs need to be paid more. Like they need to be compensated more for what they're doing. There's a lot of jobs out here where people are undervalued. And that's just part of what we live in. Like those two things, that's one of my least favorite arguments to that. Cause I'm like those they're like, that's no correlation to the two of them. Literally mutually exclusive cases where I'm sitting there thinking, yeah, like if you think they're overpaid, sure, that's fine. But I think they're, they're both underpaid. Like just because I think athletes should be paid more and you should be a little, like you shouldn't be, dismissing them just because they get paid this money means I think that teachers shouldn't be paid at all. Like, no, like I think that they both should be paid what they're, I think anybody who's working should be paid what they're deserve. Like get paid your value. And it, it, it still, it still kills me that like that the NFL is just so like blissfully ignorant to the hypocrisy that Roger Goodell puts out on a consistent basis. Like I just like, I don't get it. And I don't know. Like it, it, it's got it, it. frustrates me. It really does frustrate me. Like I'm going to enjoy having an extra game to watch, but at the same time, like it doesn't, like, it doesn't feel right. Like, I, like it's gonna be nice to have an extra game, but like I know that it's it's wrong. Like it's it's you know what I mean. Like it's wrong. Like it shouldn't be there. Like I'd rather just have a three game preseason, a 16 game postseason, and or a 16 game regular season be done. Like I don't know. I don't get it. I think there's a lot of folks also getting offended about stuff that maybe isn't totally worth getting offended about on both sides of this argument because you are saying and i'm just pointing out something here you're saying that you're going to enjoy this yeah, game, exactly. but, you, but you would prefer that they didn't have these games but you know the argument would be well then why not just watch why not watch don't watch the game then yeah don't watch like, I'll don't pick, go, don't watch the game then because I'll, have to th- pick, if I'll these, pick one game i'll pick one game no out of this these are the new season. matchups i've got these right here newly added matchups for 2021 you you don't watch this game and if enough people didn't watch these games then maybe it hurts their pockets a little bit true <laughs> but that's not gonna happen no like so they're gonna make up, yeah like it's like it's going to be so then my next question to you is if this money that comes into the NFL by increasing this, because this is probably partially a financial decision, if not mainly a financial decision. I'm just, I'm just, you know, I'm, I'm going to say the door open. I'm, I'm going to say uh, 99.9%. Like, I'm, I'm 99.9% sure this is a financial decision. And so if that's the case then, right, like aren't the players going to benefit financially in their pocketbooks from this because of the trickle-down effect? They should. They because should. couldn't that mean by your point yes. that the salary crap the the salary <laughs> salary cap yeah the salary, salary cap the, <laughs> that's pretty good the salary cap increases which means guys can get paid more money I mean yes in a theory that should be good but also like when they keep talking about player safety like do, it's like do you really value player safety like that's what like bugs me if if this doesn't if this does result in an increase in the players like in terms of what they make financially, that's a really good thing. But is it a sacrifice that the players are willing to make? From what I've seen, the overwhelming majority of players aren't happy with, you know, with having to play an extra game. Also, they haven't seen the financial the financial benefits from it yet. Sometimes that changes. Once they start seeing some of the salary cra- salary cap increases and they see some of what they're like, re- when they reap the benefits of an extra game, they might change their tune a little bit. I have no idea how that goes from there, but 
So question to you here then before we wrap up this topic and head to break. Will the financial benefits of this, of adding one extra game, will it outweigh, I'm putting it head-to-head here with longevity, will having to have to play an extra game every season, will that shorten careers? Probably. Oh, yeah. So will that, which one wins out in this conundrum, the financial benefits or the shortening of careers? Depends on who you're asking. If you're asking the NFL, I think because we're seeing guys retire at, at yeah. earlier and earlier in their career now than we ever have. I think uh, I think from I mean, the, guys younger than 30 years old are leaving the game. I think if you're asking from the NFL standpoint and Roger Goodell's pocketbook, like they're going to be they're going to be happy because they're going to make that extra that extra money. Like they're going to be the ones who make enough. Like they're they're going to be reaping the benefits more. Players, their careers going to be shortened. They might make more money, but like, does that equate over time? Like, does this extra amount of money equate to maybe Due to like, this one game yeah, equate maybe, to what's going to be lost because maybe like their two, career yeah, is maybe shorter. like a year two or three like say like say in game 17 somebody goes out there and just blows their acl and they never recover from that and their career was shortened because of an extra game i'm and, even not saying just due to injury i'm just saying general wear and tear oh, yeah, having no, to like, play an extra game every well, i was year. trying to look and think uh off the top of my head how many seasons that frank gore had been in the league and would you, you be happier if they incorporated another bye week into this schedule because they didn't incorporate another bye week. Everybody still just gets one bye. I, I would feel a lot better if they did. I would feel a lot better if they incorporated another bye week. Honestly, I'd be I'd be okay with another bye week right now in a 16-game, like, or, you know, previous. Like, in a 16-game regular season, I think, like, I would be happy with that because, like, it, it shows that you actually care about what you're saying. And it, especially with a 17-game season, I think a bye should be warranted. You're adding more playoff spots, which means more teams are going to be playing more games as well. I just think that it, it it still just comes down to me where they keep saying player safety, get to keep adding games. Like it, that, like that's it that, definitely <clears> flies <throat> in the face of it. You're not wrong, now, and that's what bugs me the most. And I mean, you think about but fans are going to enjoy this all all the more. Uh, yeah, I mean, 100%. every single uh, most people out there, I I, I don't think anybody's going to not watch these games because no. they're angry about the fact that the NFL added it. Yeah. So isn't there a little bit of hypocr- hypocrisy yes. there? Yes, a hundred percent. Like I'm not going to sit there and say there's not because there is. Like you're. You're excited about... And that was the point that I was trying to at least get to a little bit when I said yes. it seems like oh, people are getting uh-huh. offended on both sides for kind of little reason. Yeah, like, I mean, it's going to... You're you're going to watch, but at the same time, it's do you feel good about it? Like I, I'm I'll, probably not going to well, worry about it. Like just a lot me of, being honest with you. I mean, a lot of people, like, think about... And th- this isn't an apples to orange comparison, but when a celebrity falls into... Like or any kind of artist in general falls into some sort of scandalous path, a lot of people are like, well, I can't watch any of their movies anymore or I can't listen to their music. And then some people say, oh, I can separate the artist from the art. And like you, like there are people, like with Michael Jackson was a great, like a great instance. So like you're, you're upset about like things that happen. Again, these are very vast different comparisons. I'm not comparing what happened <laughs> with that to this. I'm just using this as an example. Like you look at the NFL and you're like, is this really like fair and you're gonna watch and you're probably not even gonna care like most people aren't gonna care but then at the end of the day i see the browns are playing the cardinals and i'm like all right here we go who are the saints Saints playing i have the titans the titans much worse draw than what i got yeah i mean it's it's fine i actually enjoyed my time in nashville when i went to go see them so i think that is a road game as well i think you will be headed to nashville i might make the browns will be hosting the cardinals might make another trip that was a that was that was a pretty fun trip but again like it's this it's, is revenge from two years ago. It's hypocrisy on on both sides with stuff like that, and it's just it's tough to dissect. And I think an accurate 
statement will be made in the future on this subject, if that makes sense. Like when, when you kind of see what happens, like are the players upset about it? Do you see players just sitting out? Like they might end up treating game 17 as just a, like you might see like a week where teams just sit out, like they're locked in or they're way out of the playoffs. You're like, look, I'm not playing this game. You might see, you might see it turn into more of a preseason regular season game. I don't know. You might see players not even care anymore after they get used to it. It's just initial reaction doesn't feel right from what they're saying, but I mean, it is what it is. Quick break here on On the Line, and when we come back, we wrap up hour number one. You're listening to On the Line on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we wrap up our number one here of the show, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. ABC is debuting a new series called Pooch Perfect at 7. Ten dog grooming teams go head-to-head to turn messy dogs into prized animals. Movie selections for tonight, sometimes we have to ask should we instead of can we. Like, should we bring dinosaurs back? Probably not. Jurassic Park is on AFC at 6. Start off the classic adventure of The Hobbit, an unexpected journey on BBC at 7. American Sniper is on TNT at 6. The A-Team is on Paramount, also at 6. Look at the NCAA tournament action for tonight as the Elite Eight round concludes. After this evening, we will have our final four set. Six seed USC will try to knock off one seed Gonzaga at 6:15 on TBS. The Zags are trying to be the first team since Indiana in 1976 to go undefeated and win the national championship. Wrapping up the schedule, 11 seed UCLA looks to continue its Cinderella run with a battle against one seed Michigan at 8:57 on TBS. The winners of both games will play each other in the final four. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Back on On the Line, wrapping up our number one here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We got about a minute left here in the hour. Coming up in hour number two at 3.30, we got Robbie Weinstein of Vanderbilt 24-7 and the National Desk for 24-7 Sports as well. We get his thoughts on a multitude of topics, Vanderbilt's facility upgrades in addition to what's going on in SEC baseball at this point, also what's happening in the NCAA tournament tonight. We got a couple of good games going on this evening in the elite eight i doubt that the magic continues though i think the quality of the two teams the two one seats that are playing tonight is what's going to carry them through to the final four quick topic here before we go to the end of the hour florida's omar Payne entered the transfer portal today that is the fifth florida gator basketball player to enter the transfer portal or declare for the NBA draft. Only one of them is declared for the NBA draft. That was Trey Mann, and he said that he was going to be taking an agent, or he, or he said that that was his intention, so that means he can't come back to college. So you got five guys in the Florida program who are all like, ah, I'm ready to go. What does that mean for the Florida basketball program under Mike White, which I believe, and I hold the Florida basketball program in high esteem based on what happened under Billy Donovan in the 2000s, what does this mean for a Florida program that has been underwhelming in my eyes? That's what happens when you lose to Oral Roberts. You go into the tournament and lose to a 15 scene, you get upset and you don't want to come back. Like there's there's something going on there. I 100% agree with you. This has been underwhelming. This has been under it, They Florida lose more been, than 10 games every year. If Florida should, lose like 12 games every year. Florida as a basketball program should not be doing that. I agree. Not with their history and not with all of their resources as well. 
you wonder what that looks like next week, uh, next on? year for them, because they're going to have to rebuild. And I think a lot of programs, including Auburn, are going to have to be rebuilding some of their rosters with the way the transfer portal's going. That's it for hour number one. We got hour number two coming up in just a few moments. Stay with us here on On the Line. You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater, at Point Gardner, at Levi Fitzwater on Twitter. We're live on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call to get you through to On the Line, 334-321-1390. One more hour here in the show. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable on the line. The Drive with Bill Cameron. Analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk radio. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. Coming up at 3.30 during this hour, we got Robbie Weinstein of Vanderbilt 24-7 and the National Desk for 24-7 Sports coming up. We'll get some Good information out of him about the upgrade to the Vanderbilt football facilities. Also, what's going on in SEC baseball and the NCAA tournament. A lot of good thoughts from him and that pre-recorded conversation from from when I spoke with him earlier today. That's Robbie Weinstein of Vanderbilt 24-7 at the National Desk for 24-7 Sports. Alabama Pro Day today, or at least their second one, that is. Mac Jones threw at Alabama's second Pro Day today. The 49ers traded up to the third overall pick. We've seen some shifting of the sands over the last little bit in terms of the draft order and teams moving up and down. It's leading up a month away from the NFL draft, just about or actually less than a month away here now till the NFL draft comes around on April 29th through like May 1st. That's the draft dates this year. The shifting of the sands. I think the draft orders are beginning to lock into what it's going to look like when it opens up with the first round on April 29th. Teams are rushing to get into position for their quarterback that they like the most, but also the ones that they think that they can draft with the capital that they had to trade into that position to just be able to get it. Not everybody can trade up to the number one overall pick, you know, so you're just trying to trade into a position to get a quarterback. The Niners may say that they like Jimmy Garoppolo and that he's their quarterback. Maybe they meant to say he's one of their quarterbacks because the Niners moved all the way up to three. I don't think you move up to three to draft anything other than quarterback, right? Because you can still get an outstanding player in the early in the early teens. You know, when you're sitting there at like 13, you can still get an outstanding player, especially offensive linemen, defensive players as well. There's still outstanding players available at that point. There are more hits on first-round picks in the NFL draft than there are in the NBA draft. You get into the lottery and beyond in the NBA draft, there is no guarantee that those guys are going to work out for you or end up being outstanding players in the NBA. In the NFL, on the other hand, though, your first-round pick, it's valuable wherever you're at in the first round because you can make something work and you make something happen out of it. You only move up to third because you are concerned that the quarterback that you want may not be available at that point. And we may see three quarterbacks go in a row, four quarterbacks go in a row to open up this draft. 
depending on if Mac Jones gets picked that high. I've seen some mock drafts with him back to the Panthers at, at what, like eighth? I think is where the Panthers are at in the draft order. But we've seen the Niners trade up. We've seen some other teams trading around. Where is Mac Jones' stock at the moment in your eyes? Because I've seen I've seen multiple mock drafts and they're pretty split down the middle. You either got him in the top ten, but he's towards the back end of the top ten, or some people do have him as high as as inside the top five. I mean, in my opinion, he's my he's like my four. I think he's my four quarterback. If I'm going off of what I'm thinking in my head, I think he's the fourth best quarterback to draft, and that's splitting hairs really well with like Trey Lance because I do like Trey Lance and the upside he brings. I think Mac Jones comes in with a lower floor or I'm sorry, a higher floor, lower ceiling type of guy where Trey Lance comes in with a much lower floor, but a much higher season or a much higher, higher ceiling going into the draft. It's weird for me because I value Mac Jones as more of like a middle, um, like a 10, like middle 15 type of guy. And I'm not sure if he's going to go there. I think he might actually end up going higher just based off the fact that teams get quarterback greedy around the draft. Teams start taking quarterbacks earlier. They start drinking the Kool-Aid. I mean, they start getting them. And one thing that one thing about Mac Jones that bugged me, people were unimpressed at his pro day today. And all of a sudden, now it's been offset by four overthrows. His 4,541 touchdown season last year has now been over. It's now just gone. Nobody cares about that because he made four overthrows at pro day. That's what like that. I hate like the, like I love draft season and I love draft day. It's one. It's like everybody else loves NCAA tournament. Draft day is my favorite thing. Like that's my absolute favorite thing. But I do absolutely hate the draft Twitter as I call it because they will just sit there and go, oh, DK Metcalf can't run a three cone drill. Terrible wide receiver. <laughs> really? Did you see what he did last year? Did you see? Have you seen him in the NFL? Dude has been absolutely balling. I I don't care if you can't run a three cone drill. You know you why? Know, somebody's mock draft here. Sorry to. No, go ahead. Chris Trapasso. This is a CBS Sports mock draft. Has Mac Jones all the way to twenty eight with the Saints. It's kind of all over the place when you're talking about the first round for Mac Jones in his in his slot again because. I've seen Patriots. I've seen yeah. Patriots trade up Mel- into the top ten for him. I've seen, I've seen him as high as three to the Niners. I've seen him uh, also with the Patriots at their normal location. I've seen the Patriots draft up, like I mentioned. I have seen him all over the place in mock drafts right now. He seems to be the wild card that nobody knows how to evaluate. Mel Kiper has him at fifteen to the Patriots as well. I mean, and this was also before the. Uh, this was before his latest mock draft was before yesterday's trade with the 49 with the 49ers and the Dolphins so this might this is probably a little bit inaccurate I don't know what the 49ers are doing I assume they're going up to get a quarterback but I I I can't be sold that they are if they're saying Jimmy Garoppolo is their guy that could just be smokescreen and maybe they're trading up to go maybe they don't like their receivers maybe they want to get a guy like Panay Sewell that they don't think is going to be available down there I don't think you trade up and get a receiver because it's too... I don't think you trade up for an offensive lineman. I mean, I don't think so either. There's going to be good offensive linemen in that 10 to 15 range. The, like, I can't like I can't imagine that they would trade up for anything other than a quarterback unless unless Kyle Shanahan has this... this like, maybe that was the only team they could trade with. Maybe I'll be that's real. What, I'm beginning to lose faith in Kyle Shanahan. He just needs a better quarterback. Like he hasn't had a good quarterback since Matty Ice. Is I mean, that it though? Is I, that it? I 
I no, like I think that is it for me. Like I don't think he's had a, a top tier quarterback. So you're he, putting everything on Jimmy Garoppolo's shoulders. No, for not the, ev- for, for the 49ers. Not everything, but look at their injury history the past few years. They've been des- they're a team that has been absolutely decimated by injury. They've been trotting out a lot of Nick Mullins and a lot of CJ Beathards through some of those games as well. And as as someone who loves what Nick Mullins does when he comes in as a backup, he's not winning your football games. Let's be honest. A guy like Justin Fields or Trey Lance under a Kyle Shanahan system, they can win you games. I, I've been saying Jimmy Garoppolo is overrated for like the longest time because like I don't think that he is. Like, I don't think he's a top quarterback. I think he's benefited a lot from he played in a New England system where that he looked very well. He went to the 49ers, played in another quarterback friendly system with Kyle Shanahan. I just don't know. He 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 hasn't done a lot to show me. One thing I could see if you moved up. Maybe this was the only place that the 49ers could move up. Maybe we're saying, like, oh, they moved up to three. Like, they have to do this. Maybe they just wanted to get Kyle Pitts and run Kyle Pitts and George Kittle double tight sets to the cows come home, and that would be just monstrous. That'd be like the Aaron Hernandez, like, Gronkowski days. But Kyle Pitts would be available at 12, possibly. Oh, absolutely not. Kyle Pitts does not get out of, There's a couple of mock drafts that have him outside the top 10. Those are wrong. (laughs) Those are wrong. He's not getting out of top. Like, he's not getting past the Bengals. Like, if he's there with the Bengals pick, he's not getting past So you think he's top five? Yes, 100%. Kyle Pitts is not. Nobody's got him in the top five other than Pete Prisco on CBS Sports. Mel Kuyper has him top five as well. But I don't. I don't think he. If he makes it away from the Bengals, he's not making it past the Eagles. Like he's I think not. Some of these receivers go before Pitts. I don't know. I. I don't think Kyle Pitts makes it out of the top five. If he does, I don't think he can make it. I don't think he can make it past the Eagles. I don't think he could make it past the eight spot. Like there's just so many teams that I don't think he makes it past, and that's why. Like if you want him, and that's the only place you could trade. Because think about this. Like you're not going to be able to make a trade with the Falcons at four. Even if you're. Even if who you're taking at three is maybe an overreach in terms of where you're getting them. They might not have been there when you were picking at the, what, 12 spot that the Niners are picking. You're not training with the Falcons. They want to get a quarterback from the reports that we're hearing. You're, the Bengals, they're they're having to rebuild. They don't want to drop down and, like, they don't want to drop down the top five when they could get a guy like a lineman that they could protect if Panay Sewell's still there or a guy like Kyle Pitts to shore up that tight end spot and give Joe Burrow just another weapon in his next year. The Eagles, they need a receiver. They're not gonna. They don't want to trade out because they're they're looking at maybe like a Jamari Chase, maybe Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith if he's still there. Like I just don't like. You might not be able to trade with some of these teams because they have such big glaring gaps, and some of their gaps that they have are going to be able to be fixed where they're at. Like they might not be able to fix it as well by moving back to the 12th spot. So like I'm thinking that like I'm thinking that it doesn't. Sh- solidified that they're getting a quarterback it heavy 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 leans 49ers are going quarterback in this draft but I would not be surprised if they went up there and got a guy like Panay well who wouldn't be there who they think is top tier lineman or even a guy like Kyle Pitts if they just want to get like an offensive weapon maybe a Jamari Chase maybe they need a top receiver that they want to pair with Jimmy Garoppolo it it really kind of fringes like if they if what they're saying is true I could see something like that where they're getting him a weapon or protection but if it's just smokescreen, I would not be surprised to see like a Justin Field to Trey Lance go to one of them. Or Zach Wilson, if he makes past the second, but I don't think Zach Wilson makes it past the Jets. You remember that great quarterback class from a couple of years ago? And I should put that in air quotes because it really hasn't became a oh, it was, quarterback it class. Was great. It was great coming out. 
Yeah, whatever I thought was going to be a great class. But that class featuring Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, Lamar Jackson, it, it really has kind of panned out in some ways. I wouldn't necessarily say all of those top top 10 picks have panned out that way. Like Lamar Jackson has ended up, Lamar Jackson and Josh Allen have ended up becoming the, the two best quarterbacks out of that group. And they were drafted later than the guys that were in front of them. Sam Darnold has, has been turned into a New York jet and whatever that means. You know? I, I, still have, <laughs> I still have faith in Sam Darnold simply for the fact that I haven't seen him without Todd Bowles as a coach and Adam Gase as a coach. Good gracious. Josh Rosen was a part of that class as well. Josh Rosen did go lower than Josh Allen, but he's been, Josh Rosen was the worst one, and a lot of people thought he'd be the best one. And then, so Sam Darnold, I, look, I don't know about Sam Darnold, man. Like, the Jets like, could have ruined him by now. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, and I can't. Jets could have ruined him. I, Tannehill didn't look good in Miami. He goes to Tennessee. He's been playing great. Like, I, that's a good point. Anytime, that's that good some, point. anytime someone is tethered to Adam Gase and they're an offensive player. It's all about the next location. I'm, I'm going to give him I'm, – I'm not going to sell him. I'm not going to say that he's going to be a great quarterback, but I'm not going to sell him right now completely as a just a teetotal bus in terms of like his his NFL career say more information is needed I'm with you I need to see him with someone not Adam Gase and Todd Bowles Todd Bowles is a fantastic defense coordinator head coach eh. Baker Mayfield's been uh Baker Mayfield's been he's good along. he's, he's coming, coming along, along. It's, he's taking him a little bit longer than uh than maybe what his rookie season was showing because he, he took a major step back under Freddie Kitchens in year two but this I, next I, year he's taking a huge step forward I mean, like, are you surprised? It was Freddie Kitchens. Like, that's, that's, good point. that's another good one of those point. things where, like, you have to evaluate some of these guys as to where they go. Josh Allen goes to Sean McDermott, who is an offensive, like, genius, in my opinion. Like, he sets him up very well. John Harbaugh is one of the best coaches in the league. You get Lamar Jackson goes to him. He changes his entire offense and tailors it around Lamar Jackson. So, like, you can see a lot of times these guys, they succeed when they get with a coach that actually utilizes their skill set yeah. to their ability. So I bring up that quarterback class in relation to this quarterback class because this quarterback class maybe isn't being billed as highly as that previous one that we were just discussing. What what one, Which one was that one? Was that like 2017, I think? I think that was 2017. Yeah, so it was that, 16 that, or 17. That 2017 draft class, oh, it was definitely 17. Yeah. It was definitely 17. If it, was, it definitely was not 16. It was either 17 yeah. or 18. I think it was 17 because Stidham came out the next year and Stidham did not go out with that class yeah you're so right. it was the 2017 one and that well maybe that was the 2018 NFL draft though they just played in 2017 I think it was the 2018 like it, yes, was, it was the it, 2018 NFL draft 2017 season excuse yeah. me yes. yes 2018 NFL draft that class compared to this one this one maybe isn't being talked about like that one but this is still being I would compare the two because of the volume of quarterbacks in which people are high up on. People absolutely adore Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, and Mac Jones. They adore five quarterbacks. That's a lot. That's more than, than they, most drafts, I feel like. And there are people who like Kyle Trask. There are people who like Kellen Mond. Like late guys who are probably going to go undrafted slash like late round guys. I mean, even Tanner Morgan, if he was coming out out of Minnesota, is a guy that you could look at that, you know, could could be a late like good backup type of quarterback but there are five guys who they perceive as starting franchise quarterbacks and then there's one guy who is on the fringe in my opinion in Kyle Trask so where I want to go with this is what was billed is going to be one of the greatest quarterback classes ever back in 2018 what like Two of them hit really well. Oh, yeah, I was about One to of them hit pretty well, and then the other two weren't that great. Most of these guys are going to bust out. Like, you see that. Like, typically, especially when 
there's like three, I think there's a stat. It's going to be a little bit off, but I think when there's like three guys taken within like the first like eight to 10 picks, traditionally one of those guys are going to bust. Like these odds of them, and then you look at last year, Joe Burrow looked good for the injury. Justin Herbert looked great down the stretch. And then you start thinking, what do we got with Tua? He looked unimpressive last year. Is he the guy that's going to bust? You always are going to be thinking like, Say it goes Trevor Lawrence, Justin Fields, Zach Wilson. Like in some sort of order, we assume this is probably going to be Trevor Lawrence first and then Zach Wilson, Justin Fields. So, like, one of those guys are about to bust. I think we've set this up nicely. On the other side of this break, we're going to pick who's going to bust, who's going to succeed of these five quarterbacks that are projected to go in most first rounds. We'll talk about that here on the other side of this break. Is Mac Jones a bust? You'll find out here on the other side of this break. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, Analysis, News, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on foxsports983.com. And on Facebook, that's foxsports983.com. Coming up in 11 minutes or so, we've got Robbie Weinstein of Vanderbilt 24-7 and the National Desk for 24-7 Sports. Right now, though, we're going to continue our conversation about NFL quarterbacks, and this stemmed from us discussing Mac Jones and his pro day, and of course, some people blowing out of proportion, a couple of overthrows here and there, which doesn't look good and I think the big knock on Mac Jones maybe is his athleticism and his ability to throw on the run which one of his overthrows or one of his poor throws did occur in that situation but we'll we'll save the quarterback profiles for this topic now that we're getting into we tease this coming onto the break we're going to there are five quarterbacks right now that are traditionally picked to go in the first round at the moment in most mock drafts and this quarterback class kind of is giving me the same vibes that the quarterback class of 2018 did except I feel like there are more busts in this quarterback class than maybe in the 2018 one and the 2018 one was billed as one of the greatest quarterback classes of all time and it ended up having two or three guys not perform to par with where they were drafted I even think you could say that about Baker Mayfield until this year only really two guys ended up hitting and they were the ones who were drafted later than everybody else other than Josh Rosen it was Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson who hit really well so kudos to their coaching staffs who helped to make them work because I was not high up on Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson going into that draft and it go, ended up working out just go back through the draft history and look and see where quarterbacks typically succeed it's very rare when you see guys like at the top of the draft like one through three have legitimate careers I mean some of them some work out you have your Andrew Lux who are just pro quarterbacks coming in from day one Peyton Manning those type of guys are ready from the jump but then you have and then some, you got Tom Brady and Ben Roethlisberger and Aaron Aaron Rodgers dropped to like twenty something, or you know, like he dropped like a lot of guys. Yeah, get I was picked. going for guys out of the first round. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, yeah, you have guys out of the first round, then you have guys who Drew Locke's a starter. Drew Locke is a starter in the league right now. There, there are guys who drop and you find later on who go to better situations and end up working out better because of that. Like, I think that's what so or Drew Brees get drafted at. I think he was second, late first if I'm not mistaken, by the Chargers. Like, he was down there. Um, so, like, you're going to have guys sometimes who you're going to find late value. And you think about that, like, this quarterback class to me, it's not near as talented, or it's not being 
perceived as talented as that class coming out I think some of these teams are all racing to the top of the uh, you know all racing to the top five into the top of the draft order are wasting a pick with some of these selections I don't think they're wasting a selection because it's one of those things where like if you hit you hit if you don't you're going to be back there in a few years and you gamble like, but wouldn't you want to and this is I, I love I, now you've brought me into where I want to be at this is great I'm, I'm glad that you have brought me here question Levi, one day when you have a kid, are you going to put it in a car without seat belts and airbags? Well, this isn't this isn't my kid, but no. I mean, you're not going to, right? Uh, I mean, obviously that would be illegal, but yes. you're you're not going to do that, correct? Yeah. You want your kid to be safe and secure. They're going to have their seat in the back. They're going to have their car seat. They're going to they're going to be all heck, man. I could see you putting on on the on the windows. I can see you having those little uh, shade protector thingies for for the sun to not get in their eyes. All right, like yeah. It, when you put your kid in the car you want them to be safe the same thing should be said about your quarterback man people should be wanting to put their quarterbacks into the most secure safe situations possible bubble wrap these guys give them an offensive line give them weapons and too many times I think we see and the Browns did this for years and guess what every single year they were drafting quarterbacks every single year when you're drafting somebody in the top five when you're drafting a quarterback in the top five like the Niners are in one of the better situations among these teams drafting quarterbacks because oh, yeah. they at least have pieces that they can put around their their lot, quarterback. As long as the, the team isn't hurt, this is a top roster in the NFL. It's just they were decimated by injuries last year. But the equivalent here in my analogy is to seat belts and airbags. Why are you putting a quarterback into an offense that has no offensive line to protect him and no wide receivers for him to throw to? That, that is asking way too much of anybody to come into a situation. And I feel strongly that many of these quarterbacks are not coming into the league with the ability to make those around them better. Only truly special quarterbacks have those qualities. Only a few of them in the league right now have that quality. They're at the very top. They're, they're, they're guys like Russell Wilson and, um, and Tom Brady. Like I would limit that list. Patrick Mahomes as well. Those three right now. Am I forgetting anybody else that you would say in the league make, make people around them better? Aaron Rodgers. My bad, yeah. I forgot about Aaron Rodgers. They've been, they've been made you. it. I was like, they haven't been giving him a roster you're asking ever. Me to, you're asking me to do this on the fly if yeah, I had prepared for this beforehand. You would know, yeah, we'd say we're 100%. just kind of spitball. Yeah, so like those kind of quarterbacks. Guys, yeah. Outside of that, though, I don't think there is anybody. I think Drew Brees relies a lot about on the people that were around him. And just this late in his career. No, I on, say, yes, yes, no, I agree with that. Late in his career, yes. Um, ben Roethlisberger does. Like, late late in his career Ben Roethlisberger I think he made a lot of guys better earlier I'm talking about all these yeah, guys like right, currently right in their now. current bodies in their current state not not when they were at their prime yes right now like those are some of like the only guys you think of who are going to make everybody else better around them rookies aren't going to do that when they step into the league right away only one of these guys I think even maybe remotely has the ability right now to possibly make other people around the better and that that's Trevor Lawrence and he's going to go number one and and if you've got a guy like that that's available at that point maybe you take that shot Jaguars do have some pieces on the offensive side of the ball at least weapons that they can throw to but I and uh just now Steve Witten also texted me Deshaun Watson is a guy that possibly yeah. makes people around about yeah I can get there with I mean it. he I lost can. his number one receiver he still balled out he that's lost the, he lost DeAndre Hopkins that's who, a good point at least in my opinion best receiver in the nfl he's not top he's top three if not the best but not many of them you know and, yeah. and rookies aren't going to come in with that and so my thing is i i it's it is commonplace for teams to do this and to draft this but i think there are a lot of teams like the jets who clearly 
Like, let's just take away the car analogy. Let's say, let's say the jet analogy here. They don't have an eject button. There's no. That's that's true. I mean, there, there's no there's no protections in place for these quarterbacks, and I think it's a I think it's a big mistake for teams to draft this high without getting help for their quarterbacks around them. Joe Burrow, great example, my man. I hate this for the dude, but what did the Bengals have in place around him? Did they have an offensive line? No, they had one of the worst offensive lines to probably ever step out on a field. What happens to the guy? He gets hurt. And now the, his his career longevity, his career success has been put in jeopardy. That's true. Bengals, the, in a way, wasted the Joe Burrow pick. But the one, I, I don't know if they really wasted it because he got hurt. He'll be back and then you're going to be but will. But is there certainty that he will perform and develop at the level that you thought that and, he would? And there's not. But this is the one counterpoint that I have to that is you have guys who every year you come out Everybody thought Deshaun, like nobody liked Deshaun Watson in that draft. Sure. He comes out, he plays well. Aaron Rodgers slips in the draft. It, it's it's Aaron Rodgers. But these guys are guys slipping out of the top five. Like these are guys that got drafted later on know, that are going to better situations no, than these teams are rushing to the top. But no, this is what I'm saying is you you have to gamble that you're going to find a guy that even if you don't fall in love with him, like you have to gamble on a quarterback because if you find, say, say the Jets pick number two overall, they get Zach Wilson and he pans out to be what you draft him at. Say someone drafts Trey Lance at four, five, eight, what have you, and he pans out to be the guy. Same with Mac Jones. You're set. You're set at quarterback. If he doesn't pan out, what happens? You lose a few. You're, you're going to be terrible. You're going to get a lot of good <laughs> draft picks, and you're going to be back there the next The worst thing in the NFL that you can be, seven and nine and eight and eight, nine and seven. Those are the worst ones. Eight and eight, seven and nine, worse. Because, like, you would rather be playoff contenders every year or top five drafting every year. Eight and eight, that like you can never escape that sea of mediocrity because you're picking in the dead middle of the draft and you're never getting a quarterback. Dolphins, Dolphins lived eight and eight for years. Titans, they were living eight and eight for years, always in the mix, in the playoffs, but never making the playoffs. But why staying. not do what the Dolphins have done then? Trade up at that point when you're ready to go and get a quarterback because the Dolphins have now found themselves, they were 10 and six last year. They've obviously got weapons on the offensive side of the football. Their defense is excellent and that's what really carried him to that point dolphins took quarterback last year it didn't even work and now they're right back in the top five again and well, now the dolphins are out they traded out of the top five they're the ones who traded with the 49ers that's, that's right. why that's why they're out of it now that's right so they're they so look, mock still have them trading back in but yeah i mean and that wasn't their pick that was the what the texans pick that they got with laramie tunsil and they so like it's i say you roll with it like any chance you get you just go get a quarterback if it pans out, it pans out. Maybe not like every pick, but like you can see, you can evaluate Tua this year. Last year was his first year. You can evaluate him a little bit better this year because let's be honest, his his number one receiver wouldn't be a number one on most rosters. Like Devontae Parker's good, but he would not be a number one receiver on most rosters. And luckily for them, they have a pretty good tight end in Mike Gesicki who came on late. Miles Gaskin was a good running back. This class is filled with receivers to help Tua out. On the other side of this break, we got Robbie Weinstein of Vandy 24-7 and the National Desk for 24-7 Sports. You want to stay tuned for that conversation here on On the Line. A lot of great things coming up here on the show. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner here with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama, now joined by Robbie Weinstein 
of Vanderbilt 24-7 and also on the national desk for 24-7 Sports. Robbie, how you doing today, my man? I'm good. I'm good. This has been an uh, interesting week so far. Vanderbilt made a really large announcement yesterday that has uh, been needed for a long time and has been a long time coming, so uh, that was that was a big deal. Been been really busy as a result of that, as well as you know, spring football, as you know. The announcement that you're referring to, a $300 million investment into Vanderbilt football facilities, basketball facilities as well. What does this mean for Vanderbilt athletics? Is this a step in the direction of dumping money into the football and basketball programs like the big boys do in the SEC? Or uh, is this maybe a little bit on, on a smaller scale? Uh, I mean, I, I think it's, it's you know, it's definitely a step. I think uh, at the end of this set of projects, I don't think Vanderbilt's facilities are going to be like, you know, up to par necessarily with the rest of the SEC, but they'll have a fighting chance, which maybe they haven't, especially in football recently. Um, I So, I mean, this is, this is definitely a big deal. I think the most recent major project that they did, if you can believe this, was all the way back in like 2012, 2013, which was a $30 million indoor practice facility. So, yeah, there's been some inflation since then, but you know, it's it's so it's not quite maybe ten times as much money if you adjust for that. But it's it, this is definitely a big deal. Uh, it was probably even bigger announcement yesterday than I was actually expecting. I had heard about the football building, reported on that, had heard about uh, the basketball stuff. I did not expect a brand new indoor football practice facility because they already have one. Uh, so I I mean I think the thing is for Vanderbilt like. Are they going to beat Auburn for a lot of recruits? No, like that's that's never going to happen, most likely. But they they should be able to be very very competitive with Kentucky, Missouri, South Carolina, maybe even Tennessee when, when Tennessee is as much of a mess as it is right now, uh, because they do have you know a big academic advantage and location advantage. So if the facilities can just be kind of like in the ballpark, uh, which they should be for sure after this then you can really use those sort of extra advantages that uh, uh, maybe can put you over the top and, and really help you in recruiting. So it's been a really long time since they've been able to sell like really good facilities and, and upcoming projects in recruiting. And, and I'm really interested to see, therefore, you know, kind of how this works out because they, they just haven't been able to, um, you know, talk to recruits about all these new exciting projects that are actually happening. It's been a really long time since they've been able to do that. What's the timetable on it right now? When when can folks expect Vanderbilt to have these new facilities in place? Yeah, uh, so I think prior to the 2022-23 uh, school year, probably, uh, they're going to start work on the football building, the main football building, and the uh, main basketball building after the upcoming football season. So I would assume like December. Something like that. Definitely. I mean, I don't think Vanderbilt's going to a bowl game, so I would say December. Uh, it's unclear on the indoor practice facility, and then there's also uh, there's like renovations to their kind of athletic building, the main athletic building right now. Uh, those are kind of already ongoing, I think. Like they've been sort of doing some cosmetic changes to the football wing and stuff like that since Clark Lee got there. So. Uh, that's probably the smallest project of, of everything that they announced. Uh, and like I said, I'm not sure on the indoor football building or the, the practice facility, but the, the two main buildings for football and basketball will start in December. And I would think that those will probably be done by the time the 2022 football season 
uh, kicks off. I'm not completely certain about that, but uh, that's that's what I would guess. Has Vanderbilt announced any amenities, maybe to the stadium or also this football operations facility? Have they mentioned anything specific in regards to what these projects will look like? Right. So, yeah, that, that's a good question. They haven't really like publicly talked about a ton of that. I've been able to dig up a lot of it on my own. Uh, the What I have to understand is that the football operations building will probably result partially in the renovation of the stadium, even if it's a small one, because it's going to be built into the south end zone of the stadium, which is actually the closed end zone. Kind of interesting because the other end zone is not closed. It's, it's open. Uh, they could put something there as well, but I've heard that it's going to be a similar project to what Mizzou did. I think theirs opened in 2019, also built into the closed end of their stadium. So there's going to be stuff like weight room, uh, you know, team meeting rooms and all that sort of stuff. But as a result, you know, when you're building something into, you know, an existing part of the bleachers, sort of, that, that is probably going to result in in some changes, I would imagine. Uh, they also announced that they're going to be like including like premium seating options and, and food and stuff like that. So that's more on the minor side. They're not going to tear down that stadium, though. They're they're definitely focused. They've said this both publicly and I've heard it privately as well that. Um, uh, they're focused on like renovating and upgrading the stadium, not tearing it down and building a new one. Switching gears here to some spring football then. What's going on with Clark Lee's program in year one under the new head coach in his first spring practice? Yeah, I was at their scrimmage on Saturday, and it's, it's so hard to tell, honestly, because, for instance, right now they're only working with one snap count on the offensive line. So I thought like the defense kind of won that scrimmage, you know, if you could pick a winner. Uh, because they were able to tee off, right? The, the defensive line and the outside linebackers, the head guys didn't have to worry about uh, different snap counts, and so they, they caused a lot of havoc in the backfield, whereas like the offense is supposed to be better than the defense this year, so you would expect the offense to uh, play pretty well in a scrimmage situation. So it's kind of hard to tell from that, but I've heard some good things in terms of like uh, culturally what they're doing. I, I think that, like I said, the... You know, the projects obviously are going to help with recruiting, but I think it'll also help with, like, positive vibes more generally within the program. And that's pretty important because, you know, if you look at, like, the 24-7 sports team talent composite that we have, you know, Vanderbilt did lose some transfers that maybe that didn't account for, and it's a young team. But in terms of the recruiting rankings, even under Derek Mason recently, it hasn't been that bad. Like, they've been in the, you know, they're around, like, the 50 range in terms of team talent. So there are plenty of teams that are below them, like in the Big Ten and the other power conferences that are having more success. Obviously, the SEC is the toughest conference in the, the country. But my point is, like, Vanderbilt shouldn't necessarily be going winless with the talent that it has. So I, I think, um, based on what I've heard, I, I don't know if they're going to win, like, a conference game next season. They could, but I, I am optimistic that, like, I, I don't really see them going any worse than like three and nine i think that would be you know a pretty remote chance because they do bring back quite a bit on offense that's something that stood out at the, the scrimmage too ken seals is back the wide receivers are back they've got some offensive linemen back the running back should be decent like i think they can have a capable sec offense speaking with robbie weinstein of vanderbilt 24 7 and then the national desk as well for 24 7 sports let's touch on sec baseball for just a moment because that's a sport right now that vanderbilt is excelling in as they do most years they've got some of the best pitching duos 
or one of the best pitching duos in the SEC with Kumar Rocker leading that staff as well. And this is just a really talented Vanderbilt team. I'm I'm over here on my side thinking, well, hey, at least fortunately Auburn doesn't have to play them because it's been a rocky start for Auburn this year. But what's going on in the SEC right now, uh, kind of a thousand feet above, because we saw six SEC sweeps this past weekend. Yeah, I, I didn't really expect that because this is such a competitive conference. You know, particularly, uh, did anybody expect Arkansas to go into Mississippi State and sweep them? I definitely didn't. I maybe would have leaned toward the Hogs winning that series, but that would, you know, like two out of three, right? <laughs> like, right. people don't really sweep Mississippi State on the road. Uh, Florida got swept at South Carolina. That, that was shocking uh, because South Carolina, I wasn't really super impressed by seeing them in person in Nashville. Uh, I do think they have really good pitching. But the, the hitting, you know, they really, really struggled against Rocker and Lighter. Maybe that just speaks to how good Rocker and Lighter are. I don't know. Um, but then to sweep Florida, that's really impressive. I, I, I still think, man, the, the top of this conference, uh, you know, like who's the best team? I don't even know if Vanderbilt is the best team. It could be Arkansas. It could be uh, Ole Miss. Ole Miss yeah, I mean, those three teams, I think, are ranked in the top three, uh, each of them in, in most of the major polls. So uh, this is just going to be a bloodbath. And, and, you know, even Auburn, you know, I know they're struggling right now, but the thing is, if they can get it together, there's so many opportunities for good wins and they're playing such a strong schedule that it's not like they're out of it in terms of making a regional already. Like, they've still got a chance. You know, I don't think they get there, but uh, it's not like the opportunities are not on the table for them. If they suddenly turn it around, they still very much have a shot because – uh, in the SEC, like every single series, unless you're playing Mizzou, you're going to have a chance for quality wins. And certainly around them as well. You look, there's two teams that are 1-5 ahead of them in the SEC West. Auburn may be 0-6 at the moment, but it's not like Auburn's alone. There, were, Like we said, there were six teams that got swept and all got that 0-3 weekend in the SEC. So it was, it was a crazy weekend. I'm with you. I was I was shocked most by that Florida series as well. Is there any cause for concern for some of these teams that got swept? Like Florida, we'll specifically draw in here on Florida. Do you think there's cause for concern with that, uh, possibly with them trying to catch up with some of the nation's best here in front of them? I think they're going to be okay long-term. I still see them you know, definitely hosting a regional. I, I think more of the, I, I would I would feel comfortable predicting now that they still end up a national seed as well. I, I think they'll figure it out. But – for sure. I mean, in, you know, this is such a tough conference that when you do have a, a bump in the road and get swept and, you know, like this, and, I, uh, uh, you know, they're just, they've got a really tough schedule coming up. They're playing Vanderbilt here soon. I, I think they might be playing Tennessee soon as well. And the thing is, they're already kind of behind the eight ball in the SEC East, and that Vanderbilt's five and one, and it's going to be really tough for anybody to beat them in a series as long as Rocker and Lighter are healthy. Uh, and then Tennessee has been, to me, a, a pretty big surprise. I thought they were going to be good. I didn't think they were going to be elite. And, and right now they look like a top 10 team. So, yeah, I, I do think Florida is in trouble in terms of being in the top two in the SEC East or winning the SEC East. But, you know, I, they can finish third and still go to Omaha. So I, I still, if I were picking eight teams for Omaha right now, I would have to sit down and think about it. I would still probably lean toward picking Florida uh, for one of those spots. Last topic of conversation here. That tonight's the, the last group of games of the Elite Eight, and then we've got the Final Four. 
overall thoughts here on the NCAA tournament up to this point. It's been a crazy one, and it's kind of hard to believe that we've had this much chaos up to this point. Do you think this NCAA tournament has any more shockers left in it tonight? You've got 11 seed UCLA against Michigan. Do you, do you think that there's? Do you think it's all chalk from here, or is there any is there any magic left in the tank? I kind of like UCLA tonight, honestly. I, I at least think that's going to be a close game. Yeah, both those teams play really slow. Uh, and so, you know, when, when it's a really fast-paced game, maybe there's more of an opportunity for one team to run away from the other. But I, I sort of think I see this one being like in the mid to low 60s. And, you know, maybe it's not a one-possession game that comes down to the end, but I feel like it's going to be a game late. Uh, maybe, maybe you know, I'd lean toward Michigan, but I, I do think UCLA has a pretty solid chance there. Gonzaga, you know, I really like USC. I think USC is a really good team. They're ranked really high in the computer metrics. I think number six in Ken Palm right now. Love Evan Mobley. I think he's going to be an NBA all-star. But uh, Gonzaga is probably the best. They might be the best college team I've ever seen. I would definitely go back to the 2015 Kentucky team. I'd probably tip take that Kentucky team over Gonzaga now that I think of it. Uh, they didn't even win the national championship, but they were pretty clearly the best team that year. Uh, so I, I think Gonzaga is uh, – I would be really surprised if they don't win it. Honestly, I just don't think anybody can stop them offensively. You know, Baylor will, will maybe give them a run for their money if they get there, but Houston's going to be a tough game for them. So I don't know about you, but, but I really like the Zags. Uh, I've liked them all year. It's a kind of a running joke. I pick them every year in my bracket because I feel like, you know, with, yeah, with West Coast or I guess East Coast bias, you know, like people are less likely to pick them. And I feel like they've always got, you know, a national championship quality team, even if they don't get there. I think this is the year. They're just too good offensively. Such a good shooting team. And they, they drew Timmy in the middle. It, it's too tough of a combination, in my opinion. I would agree with you on that. I've got Gonzaga winning my bracket as well, or at least what's left of it. You know, I, I had it torn to shreds after day one. I'll tell you this: I went seven and nine on day one, and that's the worst day I've ever had in bracket history. I, I I don't remember a year where I had a losing record after one day, and that's just how crazy day one was. Because I remember Allie LaForce tweeted out that fourteen different seeds won on day one alone. And that's the first time that's ever occurred in NCAA tournament history or on any day of NCAA tournament history that that many different seeds have won an NCAA right. tournament game. I mean, if, if anybody was doing well after that day, it was in a joke bracket because it was yeah. – <laughs> uh, there's no way you could have predicted that. has a bracket in the 100th percentile on ESPN because he had his dog uh, picking. That's excellent, and I should have done that. I should have done that. That that is That is fantastic. Robbie, I appreciate you taking the time to hop on with us. Tell everybody where they can find you. Yeah, yeah, Vandy247.com. If you're interested in any baseball uh, this spring, that's pretty much the main attraction right now, I would say. Uh, so, you know, lots of coverage of that. And, you know, check out Auburn Undercover as well. The guys over there do great work. Appreciate it, Robbie. Hey, thanks for having me. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you. Wrapping up the show here, a big thank you there to Robbie Weinstein of Vandy 24-7 the National Desk for 24-7 Sports. If you missed that conversation, go back and find it wherever you get your podcast. Or if you ever miss a show, go back and find the show by searching On the Line wherever you get your podcast. Before we wrap up the show here, we are going to take a listen to what's on TV tonight. 
Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. ABC is debuting a new series called Pooch Perfect at 7. Ten dog grooming teams go head-to-head to turn messy dogs into prized animals. Movie selections for tonight, sometimes we have to ask should we instead of can we. Like, should we bring dinosaurs back? Probably not. Jurassic Park is on AMC at 6. Start off the classic adventure of The Hobbit, an unexpected journey on BBC at 7. American Sniper is on TNT at 6. The A-Team is on Paramount, also at 6. Look at the NCAA tournament action for tonight as the Elite Eight round concludes. After this evening, we will have our final four set. Six seed USC will try to knock off one seed Gonzaga at 6:15 on TBS. The Zags are trying to be the first team since Indiana in 1976 to go undefeated and win the national championship. Wrapping up the schedule, 11 seed UCLA looks to continue its Cinderella run with a battle against one seed Michigan at 8:57 on TBS. The winners of both games will play each other in the final four. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up on the line here, Noah Gardner, Levi Fitzwater with you. We are about three minutes from us getting out of here, and then coming up in seven minutes, it'll be the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck. They'll be taking your calls here on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. I want to round out the show here talking about some SEC baseball. We got into it a little bit with Robbie Weinstein. What's next for Auburn with no midweek game this week? You know, it's Tuesday, and then tomorrow's Wednesday. You'd be expecting a midweek game. Not happening because Auburn's series with Arkansas begins on Thursday. It's Thursday, Friday, Saturday for the Tigers. And I think Auburn could be seeing some starters get back into the rotation, possibly a Jack Owen back, possibly Richard Fitz finding his way back. There are guys coming back. The pitching staff is much closer this week to being 100% than they have been at any other point this season. So this is an important week for Auburn to find it at the plate as well against what's going to be quality pitching from Arkansas. Look at Arkansas statistically this season from their team ERA. Arkansas at 3.78 as a team that is in the bottom half of the league, but so is Auburn. Auburn's got the second worst team ERA in the entire league at 4.76. There's going to be hitting involved in this series. You better bring it at the plate because one of my biggest criticisms of this Auburn team over the last couple of years has been they fail to hit good pitching. They need it. You can't can't fall behind 4-5-0 in a ball game through six innings. I'm not talking 4-5-0 through the first three because that hasn't been the case over the last two weeks. It's been 4-5-0 after like six, seven innings because you haven't been getting run support. You need run support. You need it early. You need it often. And if Auburn could do that, I think they've got a chance with some of their arms coming back. I mean, you're going to have to hit consistently as well. It's going to be more than just hitting good pitching. You have to consistently hit throughout this series. Like You cannot just have a game where you go through such a long stretch without hitting. It's going to be so important to get out and actually hit. Do it with consistency. You're going to have to. Constantly put the pressure on the opposing side. You're going to have to. Whether Even if it doesn't result in runs, like you're going to have to at least like shock them a little bit. Don't let them be Make them play defense. Yeah, make them play defense. Like Hit them. Like Don't just run go. The, run the pitch count up. Do whatever you got to do. Do something. You have to hit consistently. Do you have like any kind of uh, prediction for like what you think is going to happen this weekend? How are you feeling about it? I think one think? out of three, Auburn wins one. I think they've got to get their first SEC win. They know it's imperative. I, I believe they get it. And, and there's been times, and look, we, we talked about this yesterday about how difficult it is. It's, it's still possible for Auburn to get back to 15 and 15, 14 and 16 in that range. But the margin for error has, has dwindled. It has shrunk dramatically. There is little margin for error moving forward for Auburn. They can't avoid they, they they have to avoid sweeps from here out. And they they've got to find ways to win one out of three 
or to and to take two out of three against some teams that you may have thought they wouldn't but fortunately for Auburn there are a lot of teams that got swept this past weekend that are on their schedule LSU got swept Florida got swept those are winnable series when you play those those teams whereas previously looking at the schedule you might have thought ah maybe you're looking at one out of three against those teams Auburn's going to have to turn it on and it's got to start now and I'm not saying they got to win this series but I'm saying they got to at least get in the win column I mean they got some of the best competition too so like if they actually come out and play play better than they have been and win some of these games that you know they're going to be looking in a good spot because of who they're playing a good weekend here could send them up you know as high as fifth in the league so our fifth in the west that is considering Alabama and LSU are both one and five that does it for another edition of Online. We got the drive with Bill Cameron coming up in about four minutes. Stay here on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll see you tomorrow. You know where to find us.